Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 194. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurants professionals? Welcome to today's show. I can't wait to hit play, but before we do, let's just take a quick second to thank today's sponsor, On Deck. If you are looking to get a small business loan, go with a company you can trust with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. On Deck will help you scale your business to get you to that next level, to get those things you need to make more money and to serve your community better. Again, that's on deck. Check it out. Head over to the show notes, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 194, and you'll find the on deck logo there. All right. Enjoy today's show. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Eric Neal. Chef Neal, are you feeling unstoppable today always man you have to be unstoppable in this business (laughs) yes sir so chef eric (laughs) neal grew up in louisiana fishing on the bayou an upbringing that strongly influences cooking of southern inspired french classics his restaurant easy bistro and bar is one of the most well-regarded restaurants in chattanooga's rapidly growing food scene eric and his wife amanda are deeply committed to furthering chattanooga's food culture. They have spearheaded a restaurant tour collective to promote independent, locally owned restaurants. Uh, Eric has appeared on PBS's Simply Ming, and his food has been featured in the local palette, uh, Food and Wine, The Wall Street Journal, Thrillist, Men's Journal, and much more. Chef, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you've accomplished. I can't wait to learn more. But before we dive into your story and your advice, let's just get that inspirational motivational ball rolling with a success <laughs> quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Well, you know, it, it is, it is the cheesy Lexus ad. It's the relentless pursuit of perfection. You just got to keep pushing forward every, every moment of every day to make it right. That's right, man. And I, I think that's just one thing that's so common. And I say it time and time again, it comes up. It's just, in this industry to be successful, you can't just set settle and be satisfied with all right. There, people are always just looking no. for a, w- a little tiny ways to do things differently and to just make things better. And is that something that you think you, you strive for? Absolutely. I mean, we, we are like it or not as culinarians and restaurateurs, we're in the entertainment business. So, mm. so we, we take people's time and we make it full of, of happiness and joy and food and things like that. So yeah, you, you always have to be looking for the next trick or tweak or something like that. You know, the important part is how you define perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it can be, you know, there there is beauty in in the in the imperfection in that you know you don't have to have super formal service or super you know amazingly plated food to be perfect. You just have to find the balance between what people want and what you know and what you want to give them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, for sure. And um, let's find out more about you, the path you took to to get to where you are today. Give us some snapshots of your journey. Grew, grew up on the bayous of southern Louisiana catching fish, shooting ducks, things like that. And at a kind of a younger age, uh, always really enjoyed the the aftermath of it. So you got to clean fish, you got to clean ducks, and then you got to do something with it. So I always felt like 
and was raised by my dad and my grandfather to, you know, to eat what we killed and, 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 and cook what we took. So it was really important to, to, for me to come up with something to do with it. And then being raised in Southern Louisiana, you have this piece of your soul that is, is tied into how it, how food makes you feel. Mm. So, you know, it, it always made you feel better when it tasted better. And I think it was just a really basic instinct to want to make, you know, my family happy, my friends happy when I made, when I cooked the food that I caught. And it just, it just blossomed from there. Mm. Uh, but I was also fortunate to be raised in an environment, you know, with a family and a, and a place where, you know, food was important. You know, a lot of, a lot of men actively cooked um, and took pride in what they did. Everybody took pride in what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was, you know, red beans and rice or sauce piquant or anything like that, they, they were, you know, they were proud in what they put out there. And I think that's, you know, has really left an indelible mark on me. Mm-hmm. So uh, when did you make the decision to pursue food with, in, you know, attending the, the Culinary Institute? It was, uh, it, it was during college um, in one of those, like, what do I do now kind of moments. Uh, I had basically failed calculus, so I wasn't going to be pre-med anymore. <laughs> and, um, and it just, you know, it was just not going to happen. Yeah. So I, I kind of backtracked and got a nice liberal arts degree, which would qualify you to do very little in, in, in this world anymore. And uh, in the meantime, I was enjoying myself. I was in Austin, Texas. I was throwing dinner parties for people, and they got more and more elaborate and, you know, realized that it was something I really enjoyed doing. So I sussed it out, worked in the kitchen for a summer, and uh, found out that I loved it. You mm-hmm. know, and at that point, it, it was like it was like falling in love. I mean, you, you, you know, you're just there. Mm-hmm. Now, can you bring us to that moment? Was there an experience when you were working in this kitchen? Like one thing where, you know, it was like a lead ball just being dropped and everything stopped and like you just knew that this is it, that this is your, your aha moment. Oh. Absolutely, man. The first kitchen I worked in, you know, it, it was a great, great little kitchen, super tight. And they put me on pantry. I was making salad, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like two months in, uh, whoever was on the line stepped off and I cooked a piece of salmon, just a plain Jane piece of salmon. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sent it out. Um, and the people who ate it told me that it was, you know, sent back word back to the kitchen that it was like the greatest piece of salmon that they'd ever had. Mm. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, this is awesome. You know, it's instant gratification. It's the thing that's always made me love this business is, you you know, you, you create and you put all this effort into something that's immediately, you know, enjoyed. And you you know whether or not they like it in that moment. Mm, absolutely. So when did you start venturing off on your own and really uh, spearheading your own projects and your own, you know, restaurants? So getting into culinary school was great. It, it was um, – it was a thing that I wanted to do. Uh, I felt like it was a skill that I wanted to have for the, for most of my life. Um, and I knew that, you know, once I got into the restaurant business, having that skill would mean I could always be gainfully employed somewhere. So I felt mm-hmm. like that was beneficial. Uh, but I always knew, and this goes back to, you know, just my upbringing and my family, that I had, I wanted to own my own business. Mm-hmm. You know, being my own boss and running my own show you know, would definitely be, you know, high on my list of things that I needed to accomplish mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger. And so, you know, as soon as I got into the restaurant business, I knew that I wanted to own my own restaurant. I, there was no doubt about it. Now, you know, where it was going to be and how it was going to work, that was that was all to be determined. I was going to own my own business and be my own boss. Mm. So, all right, let's talk about your why. And this is something I'm really interested to hear because I feel like you're just so mm-hmm. passionate. Um, you, you said that it's tied to your soul, what you're doing. So what is your purpose? Why? What is your why? Like, What is it that drives you to do what you do in this career? 
it's really hospitality. Mm. Um, I, I, growing up, I go, I go back to southern Louisiana here, growing up amongst people who so deeply cared about each other and, and fed their souls on a daily basis with food and, and the camaraderie that surrounds food, uh, it made me realize, you know, just how important that was to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the hospitality business before I'm before anything else. I, I I exist to make people happy and feel full by experiences, and I think the food and the service and the beverage and the wine all ties into that. But that's my why. Is I I want to give that those moments to people because I believe that's where life really genuinely happens and how do you keep that so in the forefront of what you're doing every day the hospitality side to make people happy because i feel like in this industry i mean it's so much hard work lots of like late nights and you can get discouraged you can get down you can get tired how do you stay upbeat and positive and just so centered with your why it's it is your why that's it's such a great question that you ask because you know what we do at its at its very base level is extremely repetitive. You know you're you're going in at the same time. Your schedule is the same. You're gonna you know cut an onion the same way. You're gonna make a stock the same way. Um, you know the basics of what we do. So you have to have some fire in your belly for something to make that work every day. And I know plenty of great chefs who are extremely passionate about their food. Uh, I know plenty of psalms who are extremely passionate about their wine. And I know a lot of great, you know, front of the house people who are who are really hospitality driven. For me, it means all of that. Mm. So I, I put all of it together in one basket and let, you know, my desire for for the perfect experience for the people walking through the door drive me on a daily basis. And you know, it's my job to share that. That's that's what I have to, you know, that's what I have to have the people that work for me believe is it the we are new- there as a team to make people make people happy is it the new experiences the new encounters that keep it fresh for you is that one of the things that you use to keep you going because for you it's the same thing i mean the same work every day new experiences but is it the new uh people you get to influence with your food the new people you get the mentor coming through your kitchen oh yes i mean you know you it, for me you know that repetitive thing it's it's a, a double-edged sword so yeah it can be boring but at the same time, you know, I got to teach another, you know, brand new cook a week ago how I like to make, you know, my white chicken stock. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of the most basic of things. I've done it, you know, a thousand times and I've taught a hundred people how to do it. But, you know, the light bulbs going off in this kid's eyes make it seem like it's worthwhile to me because I mean, he got something out of it. Mm. You know, a little, a little click. And maybe, you know, maybe I can inspire some of those aha moments like you were talking about before with other people where they get it. Mm. They know that this is what they want to do uh, because I really think it is, it is a fantastic profession. Oh yeah. So rewarding. So let's talk about um, your it factor chef. If you could narrow it down to like two or three or four habits, characteristics, traits that you think you have that most contribute to your success in this industry. Oh, I, you know, I'm persistent. Uh, my wife would say I'm bullheaded. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that persistence, you know, it, it does make a difference. You're going to get told no so many times before you get told yes. So if you look at, you know, no is merely a starting point to a yes down the road, then, then you're going to, you're going to be okay. I mean, what were um, some of the no's you experienced that you, you know, oh, just overcame? I mean, that, you, uh, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to be able to run your own kitchen. Um, you're not going to be able to control or manage people who are older than you. 
you know, you want to open a restaurant at 27, you're 26, nobody's, nobody, you know, you can't do that. Nobody will give you money. Um, nobody would, you know, nobody would want to build it for you. Who would work for you? All so that kind of stuff. For all those I mean, people that are out there listening right now, hearing all these things that you're saying, what's your advice for them to keep them going? You got to have the fire in the belly. You yeah. know, if you believe in yourself and, and that passion is burning and true, don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. You have, you, you know, you owe it to yourself to persevere. Yeah. So that's where you come back to that persistence piece. You know, if, if you're not told no 10 times before you, before you get somewhere in this business, then something's not right. Yeah. You know, there's a trick that I've learned. I can't remember where I heard it, but you know, in this industry, as soon as you accept no, or in any industry for that matter, as soon as you think something's not possible, your mind will shut off. Um, so you have to have that fire like you're talking about and you have to, instead of saying this isn't possible, how is this possible and get creative and look for those, you know, you, you know, creative ways to, to make things happen. There's always a way. Awesome stuff. So do always you want to reflect yeah, on that? Or? Well, no, I, I think, you know, you have those big moments in this, in this career and then you have daily moments like that too. Mm. You know, the, the fire alarm is going to go off in the middle of service. You mm-hmm. know, it's just the nature of the beast. You know, I've never had a, I've never had an important piece of equipment break on a Monday. They always break on Saturdays, you know? So like, you know, in those, in those ways, you know, cooks don't quit on Monday. They, they no show on Saturday night. Hmm. Uh, that's, you know, that's how it goes. You just, you're going to have to learn that lesson that, you know, you're going to get from the beginning of the end to a service or the beginning to the end of a construction period or anything like that. And, and you, just because you're not going to accept any other outcomes. Mm. So we so far we have your persistence, your fire in your belly to not take no for an answer. What are some of the other it factors you got going for you? For for me, you know, I rely very heavily on on my upbringing uh, culinarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my upbringing, I, I choose. You know, I was born and raised in South or raised, sorry, raised in South Louisiana. I was born in Texas, um, and, and you know that. Because cuisine is so fundamentally French-based, um, that I went back to the south of France, you know, and just really kind of buried myself there. So I love, you know, seasonal things. I love fresh, clean flavors. I don't like to, I don't like to muddy things up with too many sauces or things like that. And I, I really like to present the best quality product I can to people. Mm. So you know, sourcing, you know, in that way, if you look at the French, you know, look at the French and what they do, sourcing is one of my greatest strengths. Mm-hmm. I've been able to, you know, been very fortunate to be in Chattanooga, uh, which is, which has a very thriving, wonderful local uh, food scene. And you know, having been here at kind of the inception of it, have been able to grow with it. So, you know, one of the things that I think makes the restaurants that we that we run stand apart is, you know, we've got the best stuff. Mm. You know, that that's that's where we start. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, are there any other if factors you want to share with us? You gotta have fun. I mean, this is a fun business. <laughs> you know, you you gotta you gotta uh, moments of levity. You know, kitchens yeah. are serious places. From the house are serious places. So, you know, everybody that uh, that works for me, I hope you know respects my intensity, uh, and I know that they they can feel the brunt of it from sometimes. But you know, you you gotta have fun. You know, if you're not having fun, then we're doing it wrong. So you know. It, I think it's important to bring back with the people that work for for me and the guests who, who enjoy the, the experience that we really are there to have fun. Yeah, and I, you know, one thing that just needs to be celebrated in this industry and things that I'm personally proud of in this industry is it's one of the few industries mm-hmm. where you can you can really just 
be yourself and you don't have to put a filter on. You don't have to try to be a certain way. Like I think those who are more strange are almost more celebrated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh you, God. Yeah. You have that freedom to have fun. Um, and oh yeah. There's one other if factor just from doing my research on you. One thing that I think is a very common characteristic in those who are successful in this business. And that is that you are so interested in your community in supporting mm-hmm. other uh, restaurateurs and other uh, people trying to do food right, do food, you know, with culture and soul. And I mean, talk to us about that and how you've given back to your community and how you spearheaded these projects. Well, community is is one of the most important factors in what we do because we absolutely rely on people. We absolutely rely on people on a daily basis to to come into the restaurant. So. You know, we rely on that, but from a from a long term sense of view, as far as you know, having um, having a successful business and you know, running restaurants, you you have to you, ha- you can't just mine a community for money and uh, and time over the years without giving something back to it. Mm-hmm. So we give back to our local you know farmers. We give back to our uh, you know our the people who who come to the restaurants by you know having doing things that we can for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we try and showcase local farmers as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing that we've, we've come to, you know, 10 years down the road is my wife and I started a supper club we called Scenic City Supper Club. We just had an event a couple of days ago. But it really is an event that we do once every quarter, once every season, just to highlight the local talent and find a way to bring people together in this business from a service point of view, um, from a, you know, kitchen point of view uh, all the time so that so that we can – celebrate in a non-competitive way the work that we do why is it so important to support these people these why, why what where's your passion with independently owned restaurants why why is that so important for you to support independence yeah oh because because i am one i mean i <laughs> you know i want to i believe i believe you know you reap what you sow so i want to i want to give back to everybody i possibly can um that is trying to do the same thing that, 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 that I am. So that hospitality thing comes back around. You know, when I go out, I want to be taken uh-huh. care of. I want to make, I want to make sure that, you know, that the people who are taking care of other people in my city, uh, feel the same way and, you know, try and, you know, raise, raise up a community instead of, you know, like I said, mining it for money or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one thing, you know, you mentioned earlier being your own boss. And I think that, with independence, it really provides opportunity for people who are truly passionate about food, about the hospitality, about the culture, uh, to really just fulfill their their definite purpose in life. And when you have these chains and these franchises, you're kind of put into this this mold that you can't really express yourself like you would be able to if you were an independent or if you were working for somebody who had their own vision, their own fire in their belly. What do you think about that? I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, be being an independent means that you're you're not controlled by somebody else, mm. and and I think you know passion and, and uh, spirit and creativity play so much into this business that you know it's you you, you don't you don't get that same kind of experience in you know a multi-unit chain, mm-hmm. you know because somebody else somewhere else has made those decisions about you know what kind of, you know, water or beverage service you're going to have. And they don't know you. They don't know what your community likes. Mm. Um, and there's no there's no passion. Mm. So, you know, passion is one of those easy things to follow. Passionate p- 
people uh, are always the ones that people line up behind. So, you know, bringing passion to the table means that you're you're going to be outside the norm, mm. and you're never going to find that in, in a chain. You're never going to find you're always in this business. You're always always going to find it with independence because that's where true passion and true you know uh, zest for life really exists. Yeah, so I just I just felt the need to really highlight what you're doing with uh, your your helping the independents and other people in your community trying to do the same thing. I think if you take the time, if you're at the top um, of wherever you are, whatever market you are, if you're a top dog, take that time to you know support those other restaurants that are out there and show them the way because I feel like that's just always going to come back to serve you some way somehow and it's just better for the industry as a whole and I'm happy we touched on that so let's talk about one of your failures chef let's talk about a time um, where you just you know encountered something you made the wrong decision and you just fell hard on your ass tell us what you learned from that failure (laughs) and how you got back up um you know early on in my in my restaurant entrepreneurial career i had a i had a business partner um and it, it just didn't work out between us uh but you know unfortunately it was about three months in the, after i opened the first restaurant that this happened and you know i, I call it the mount everest my, or my everest of of running a business because it was one of the hardest things i've had to do was to to you know undo a business relationship that was tenuous at best to begin with and also pick up running in front of the house at the exact same time yeah. Uh, so, Absolutely. you know, this is, it, it's real life stuff. Um, you know, it's not probably the sexiest of stories, but, you know, it really happened and it was really hard to, to do, you know, with a young restaurant. But I feel like having dissolved that relationship at an appropriate time was one of the best decisions that I've ever made in running my business because it had to happen. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you have to learn when to let go of those things. In, in this business yeah. because it's not to the benefit of you, your cuisine, your product or anything like that. So, you know, fixing people is not, we're not in the business of doing that. We're, we're in the business of raising up and training and teaching, mm-hmm. but not fixing. Let me ask you, chef, you said the issue was uh, with selecting the right partner. I mean, did you get sucked in? Like, were, was there temptation? Like what, what made you bite? Was there, was there money involved? Did they, this other person have the money you needed to get started? Like, why do you think you went into this business? No, man, it was even it was even weirder than that because I cooked I cooked on the line with him okay. for years. So, you know, I thought I knew him. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, true colors come out when you're working 100-hour weeks. And it just it just was not working. He was not in it for the same reasons that I was. So, you know, if you could do it all over again, I mean, aside from picking a different business partner, what would you have done to protect yourself to make sure you're in in it for the same reasons? Uh, you know, I think that's that's just one of those school of hard knocks kind of lessons that you got to learn in this mm-hmm. business. That you know, people don't always share the same ideals as you. Um, and you know, had had were I to be able to do it over again. I would have made sure that he was the right person. Um, but, you know, it, it, you're young. You're, you know, I was 26 years old when this was happening, and uh, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that that, was, that that was a possibility, you know. When you're young, you're a little bit more idealistic and maybe a little more gullible. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's important to not lose that, you know, later in life as well because you got to give people chances. Yeah. So, you know, getting putting yourself out there and being burned by people is something that's, that you got to do in this business because mm-hmm. if you don't take chances, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's so, always risk. You're not going to hit everyone out of the park. And I think what the, the lesson is, I mean, if you do get burned and things don't work, 
don't call it quits. I mean, just you know, keep your eyes forward and keep chugging and, and try again. Absolutely. You learn a bunch from the first Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I mean, you, no, no, you're going to have to pick yourself up many, many times in, in this business. No, there's there's going to be failures. You're going to miss. So you what's know, you're the... going to have the perfect mentor kid in the back who you think is going to be your next chef, next chef to cuisine, and he is going to quit. You know, because, you know, his girlfriend got pregnant or something like that. And he needs to get a real job. I mean, you know, people are going to say some awful stuff to you, but you just got to move on. So what's the one lesson, if you could just chalk it up to like one life lesson that you learned from this, this one failure? The one life lesson for that is don't don't be scared of moving on from a person. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you know, in cutting loose from him, it saved my business. Yeah. You know, if had I not been able to do that, I would have ne- I would have never made it. Mm hmm. Awesome. You know, another thing too, I think a lot of times people in this industry are so concerned about others because we are at our core hospitable. We're caring, we're giving, we're warm, generous people. We don't want to burn those other people. But I mean, one lesson I learned uh, from just listening to people is, you know, you're not doing anyone any favors by keeping with them when they're not right for you. You're holding them back from doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. You know, you're so it, it's it's important, and I still use this lesson, you know, with my managers on a daily basis. You know, when we talk about anybody who works for us, is you know, if they're not benefiting the guest, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know, if they're not benefiting the guest, then we're not doing our jobs properly. I love it. And so it may mean it may mean that you you do have to let somebody go that, and you may even like them, but you mm-hmm. still got to do the right thing for the guests. Cause that's mm-hmm. what we're really in this business to do is take care of guests. Awesome. Great stuff. So we've crushed the first half of this interview. It's been awesome. We got to take a quick break just to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from listening to all of our guest mentors is that it doesn't make sense to go too big out of the gates. You need to start your business small and scale over time. So if you've been in business for at least a year, you're doing $100,000 in annual revenue, and you have a 500 or better personal credit score, you could qualify for a small business loan with On Deck, and you could get that money within 24 hours of applying for the loan. So to learn more, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 194, find the On Deck logo, and get started. We're back, and the first question I have for you, Chef, is what's your advice for getting that initial capital, for raising the funds to get going with your first restaurant? <clears throat> Funding restaurants is is one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life <laughs> um, because – you're an unproven commodity, you know, and I think any entrepreneur would tell you this, but until you have a track record, you know, then, then you're a complete unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of my initial business partners told me that the only time banks want to ever loan you money is when you don't need it. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, going to the bank is never really an option unless you've got, you can collateralize, a, you know, a lot of money all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would say the best options are, you know, to be known in the community, to give back, um, and to, you know, try and uh, find a group of investors who believe in what it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. So how, but can, you, you know, how mon- can you get known in the community? Sorry to interrupt. You got, no, no, you got, it's a great question. You got to work. You got to mm-hmm. be in kitchens. You got to, you know, running a kitchen. I would have never been able to do what I did when I did it if I hadn't already run a kitchen and, and been a chef and been a known commodity in that way. So you, you know, I have a lot of people come and ask me how they raise money, but they've never worked in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to raise money for a restaurant if you never worked in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So you you have to have some chops that people believe in and a mm-hmm. following. Um, and then you'll meet people over time 
they get they get you there. Um, but yeah, raising money is impossible. I mean, friends, family, and fools—that's who invest in first restaurants. <laughs> yeah. So, so hit up what you can, you so know, I, and, I, and and be willing to give up as much as you possibly can to get what you need to get started. Awesome stuff. So once you get the capital and you're you're ready to rock and roll, how do you find good people to work for you? What questions are you asking? Where are you looking? Are there any tricks you want to share with us? The people game. It, in you know in Chattanooga, but also in the restaurant business, I think is the hardest part of running a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, finding good people at any level, from dishwasher all the way to general manager, and sh- and you know chef, is is going to be a challenge. So working in restaurants and, and knowing people is the important thing. Um, so you got you know you can I could never have opened the restaurant that I did when I did it. Had I not already worked in restaurants and had a group of friends that was willing to come with me to help me out, mm-hmm. so knowing knowing those people and having those acquaintances and you know friends that you can count on that know what they're doing, you know, is, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And then as you you know as you get going and as you establish yourself, people you know you have to give people a reason to want to work for you. Mm. You know, you can't just and it can't just be money because when you're opening a brand new restaurant, you're not going to have enough money to beat out the next guy. So what are so you the gotta, reasons they, they are looking for? What are those reasons you need to provide people passion. to work for you? Passion. Mm. You know, in a nutshell, it's passion. You know, you can you can get people to move mountains for you if you're passionate about moving that mountain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you gotta teach, you gotta give give back to them as much as they give to you. They're gonna take knowledge and experience and and, and, and money and you're gonna you're gonna get people to work in your in your restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving giving them a reason to do it is the most important thing. So, you know, I, I don't you know, I don't know how you run an independent without passion. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's like the lifeblood. Mm-hmm. So when you have these people who you are just, you know, who who are I guess sucked into your passion, who wanna work for you because you're providing them those extra reasons. How do you keep them on your team? How do you how do you keep longevity there? Well, uh, you know, I've just recently opened another restaurant called Main Street Meats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took us ten, 10 years to get to number two, and I've found that having the second one has been really beneficial for everybody because it does give an outlet for uh, servers or, or cooks that you know may not have any room to move up in, in the first one, um, and, and that's been that's been great. So it just creates more opportunity within an organization to work with the same people. Mm-hmm by having another one but really you know upward mobility um the ability to express yourself you know creatively those things are super important to people in 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 kitchens and in front of the houses mm-hmm. um and you know the opportunity to do that i think is what's really important well give me an example chef of when there was a time that you provided somebody the opportunity to express themselves creatively Oh, uh, you know, for me as a chef, you know, for the first seven plus years of, of my restaurant, you know, everything that went on the menu was me. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had different people who participated in it, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't until I found you know the right person and was comfortable with making them a chef de cuisine and letting letting loose the reins that I was able to you know have another person's voice represented on my menu. Mm-hmm. But now you know I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. A because I'm running two different restaurants, but B because I find, I feel inspired by the people that work in my kitchen. Mm. So I can walk away for a few days and go to a 
you know, a, a food festival or God forbid, take a vacation with my family and come mm-hmm. back and things have happened on my menu and I love it, mm. you know, so and it may not be exactly the way I would have done it or the style in which I would have done it, but I know everything's going to be up to par because I've instilled the right values in the people that are doing it. Mm. Huge. Awesome stuff. So you had mentioned earlier your pursuit to perfection. What about other ways to allow people to express themselves? Maybe in a change of a way a system goes, maybe somebody found a better way to do something that's more productive, more, you know, more efficient. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that where you let people kind of, of course, of course, you know, the, the, the basic restaurant rule as I, as I understand it, it was taught to me is in the moment in service, you do what you're told, mm-hmm. right? And if you have a suggestion or a comment or a better way to wind the watch, there is an appropriate way to bring that to your manager or your, you know, your, your superior. Mm-hmm. But it's never in the moment. You know, you don't argue, you just do. And so I've always kind of instilled that in, in all of my crew is that, you know, in the moment, I'm going to tell you what needs to happen and we're going to do it the way we do it. If in the end you've got a better, you've got an idea and you want to bring it to the table, bring it to the table. And if it's a better idea, I am all about it. Mm-hmm. That's how, you know, over years, the systems at, at Easy Bistro have been refined by, you know, my ideas, other people's ideas, you know, ex- real world experience, you know, molding them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, you know, the, the point is that, you know, in the moment of, of, of business, in the moment of battle, you can't change things. You got to you got to do it in a productive way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's one quote from a past guest, Octavio Mantilla from the Pesh restaurant group. Um, it just yeah. resonates with me. And he said, you can accomplish anything if you don't mind who gets the credit. You know, if you, if you or let people just have a word and there's so many opinions, there's so many different angles that you might not see, but when you let people express themselves creatively, creatively to solve problems, you, you really tap into their, their core of being a human, feeling like they're contributing. And I feel like I hear that coming from you. And, um, oh, that's, I could not agree with that quote anymore. It's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we all, we all succeed or fail together. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, and, and, you know, if you, if you live by that and you let people, you know, go up and down with you, then, then yeah, you know, I think it's great. Awesome. So obviously we got to talk about the challenge that you know, we, I always bring up the conversation of, you know, finding people and hiring because it is such a huge present challenge in the industry and it will be for a long time i feel like but what are some of the other challenges chef that you have noticed or you see coming down the barrel that you want to address right now well um people yeah i mean we, we can talk about that until the end of time because it's the big one. um but the other challenges i think are just a, a real changing of the way people uh use restaurants mm-hmm. and i think I think what Danny Meyer's done with Union Square Hospitality and, and his quest to eliminate tipping is, you know, is the tipping point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in 10, 15 years, that's going to be the norm. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we, we as a group of, of, of business people throughout the country have to really examine how we do business because it is, you know, we're, it is going to fundamentally change. And then, you know, the, do you the think it's going to be for the that, better? Do you think it's? I do. I absolutely do. I, I really do. I, you know, when when Danny Myers talks about the labor of wrong in the back of the house and the way wages have been stagnant in the back of the house versus front of the house, you know, for the last 20, 25 mm-hmm. years, he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is coming from a guy who, you know, 
worked for minimum wage in a kitchen when I first started. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's, you know, I understand how hard it is to make, make life work at that, at that level of pay. Mm-hmm. And plus you, you have know, all think, the, the pressure too from the state and the, the government coming down on raising the minimum wages. And it's like, how, I mean, what else can you do? Well, the the effective minimum wage is so much higher than the minimum wage now. It's not even funny. Yeah, you know, the states are so far behind on this that that they've totally they've totally missed the game, much less the play. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what I think is going to happen is you're going to have individuals like Danny Meyer, you know, who have a lot of authority and power, In- influence to yeah. to influence what happens down down the scale, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, it's it's a good thing. But the flip side of it, and, and, you know, he does allude a lot to this in his new plan, is that consumers are going to have to realize how much it really does cost mm-hmm. to make good food. Mm-hmm. It, I, is not, you know, it, it is not something that you can do for a little bit of money. And I know I, I bang on chains and franchises all the time, and I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm just an evil person. But, like, no. but the, the thing is, like, with these chains and franchises, over time they've cut corners. and They're so efficient that they've cut corners in so many ways, uh, and it's usually with the quality of food. Um, yes. And it's, they can source in such huge masses that it's the common public just doesn't know what real food costs. And when you come and you make no. real good food that's, you know, you're putting into your body, it's your source of life. And that's – people wonder why there's so much like allergies and, you know – Oh, I mean disease. obesity, diabetes, yeah. disease. And then, you, I mean we could go off on this tangent forever. <laughs> and I, I mean it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. Yeah. A because I know how much money it costs to make good food. Yeah. And and I feel like as a change, you know, in my lifetime, in my career, which you know, is about twenty years at this point, you know, there used to be a middle ground. Like there was a low, medium, high food quality. Yeah. And now there's not. Now it's just low and high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. no middle anymore. Uh-huh. You can't buy the middle on food quality. You can either buy buy junk or buy good food, and, yeah. that's, and that's it. No. So you can get a junk hamburger for $4, or you can get a really good hamburger for $15, but there's really not a lot in the in-between. No, I do think you're right when you said that there's going to be some big changes, and I don't think it, it, it's going to be across all industries, and I think I really do believe that it's going to be the restaurant industry that really pushes uh, the general public into seeing why it's so important to do things slow, you know, slow food, to uh, support your purveyors, but not just... And I mean, we're going on tangents now, but not just your your yeah. purveyors for food, but like artisans, cobblers, uh, you know, goldsmiths, people who are in your community who have passions and can't express them. Um, I really well, there's, there's much more of an appreciation for things that are locally made, mm-hmm. quality driven now than there were ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that's only going to increase as people really you know, become more and more aware of what they're putting in their bodies and the kind of calories yeah, that they're taking in. It's so exciting but also, that the, the restaurant industry is at the forefront of it. Though. It is. And, and, and restaurants definitely lead the way with that. You know, but it is, you know, chefs had to get famous before they could preach. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we're finally at the point where, you know, I, I'm able to preach to my choir at this point because of other people who've gone before me and told, you know, told others about how, you know, how good or bad it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people, for whatever reason now, and I'm really happy for it, see what I do for a living as a, as a good, decent profession, whereas 10, 30, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, that was not the case. Mm. So, you know, us being seen as respectable is great, Now we and now we get to influence the way people feel about what they do for, you know, for, yeah. for food. And so I feel like the, the next 10, like you said, there's a lot of good, a lot of change coming. Some of it would be good, some of it would be bad, mm-hmm. but the awareness is huge. Awesome. 
And, stuff. and we just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I could go all day on this, and I got to have some oh, yeah. exercise and discipline to get back on uh, course here. I understand, but I, I understand. <laughs> uh, so the next question I have is uh, on the topic of you know educating yourself, and I feel like you know you really can't be successful in this industry unless you're constantly pushing yourself to learn. So, what are some books out there that you'd recommend, whether they're business books or personal growth books, or just any kind of book to get you in the right mind frame to be successful in this industry? Well, you know, you're, it's interesting because you're, I'm a chef and a businessman, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, I feel like my, my influences are, are extremely wide. So, you know, the business section of the New York Times is fantastic for me, mm-hmm. right? I want to know, you know, what people, what's happening, but also how people feel. And mm-hmm. I can kind of ascertain a lot of that from, from a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm I'm certainly you know giving myself away as as a you know as a New York Times reader, um, but I, I feel like I feel like that kind of gives you an idea of what's happening in the world, you know, from an editorial and an an outright news place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I, I do work a lot, so I'm I'm not a for you know traditional book reader mm-hmm. unless I you know catch a you know <laughs> a break and get to sit on a beach somewhere and read you know. A book about salt or something like that, which maybe I'm happy can, to do. Maybe I can convert you to being an audio book listener. <laughs> uh, well, I, please do. I mean, if you got some good ones, I'm, I'm all ears. Man. We'll talk after. Know, kind of, no pun, no pun intended. Uh, but you know, and then culinarily, like for me, I came up in a time when Thomas Keller had just become a god, and he's mm-hmm. still like a super god. But you know, if if I ever need to feel inspired or warm and comforted in a way that makes me feel great, it's the French Laundry Cookbook. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can always go back to it. You know, I've literally copied pages out of it for, for young uh, cooks, Big Pot Blanching and the story about the rabbits and, you know, all that stuff, you know, I think still resonates today. And that book was written in, what, 94? I mean, it's 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 awesome. Yeah, and, and then, you know, I've got... Go I've got a slew of cookbooks sitting on my coffee table, <laughs> and you know they're they're you know everything from from ethnic to you know Southern American, and you know I like I'll come home and and either pour myself a glass of wine or a whiskey and thumb through them for a second when I get done, and just just to take my mind somewhere else, mm. um, and it's you know it relaxes me, it inspires me, and sometimes it's as you know simple as I'm you know too tired to read the words, so I just look at the pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel I feel like that takes me to a good place. Awesome, I love it. Let's talk about technology. I mean, I, I look at technology as uh, a systems, a way to accelerate systems and close gaps on your processes and your procedures to really be more productive and to be more efficient and effective. And I know. Um, I know we're talking a lot of bad things about chains and franchises, but we can really learn a lot from them from how to operate. So because they, they do implement technology. So are there any technologies that you are implementing in your restaurant to be more productive or efficient to close gaps in your operation? I, I am not a technology guru. I, I will be the first to admit that. Um, but, you know, I don't know where we would be without like Google calendars. Oh man, that's I mean, what, just, yeah. just, just so that everybody in, in the operation knows where everybody else is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's, you know, from, especially from a back office point of view, mm-hmm. you know, that's just killer. And then, you know, QuickBooks, you know, we run our lives, our, business, our financial lives on QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's not a new program, so to speak, but what I love about QuickBooks, and this is the change from when I started, was, you know, accounting firms would not dare leave you in QuickBooks 10 years ago mm-hmm. when I started Easy. You know, they had to transport it into something else. And I feel like, you know, QuickBooks has done this great thing where they've become 
legitimate. You know, you can you can raise money, take a QuickBooks statement to a bank. Like, you know, it, it's it is an acceptable form of keeping your books now. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't I could not do it, it without it. Awesome, great stuff, great resources there. And I, th- I don't think enough people leverage the the number of Google tools. I mean, you have Google calendars, like you mentioned, oh. Google docs, Google, um, drive these, it's all free. And you can put all these documents in, uh, whether they're handbooks or employee manuals oh. or operation manuals, you know, all, all of our handbooks, training documents, employee, you, you know, manuals, those are all in, in Google docs Yeah, as, you know, open source. And, and it, you know, it's great that my trainers can just log in and change them when they need to. Exactly. Um, I mean, it, you know, and I think it's such a radical idea. And it's really great, too, with people with your mentality of that constant pursuit of perfection. Because when you make a change, um, the process of making changes to, to, you know, changes for the better to improve your operation are so much more um, seamless because you go in and you just make that one change and instantly everyone has access to the changes. So everyone's big picture is the same. You don't have to go print out new handbooks and do all these crazy things. It's so much more effective. And if you're not using Google to do these things, wake up. Um, sorry. It, it, it's necessary. Oh yeah. Cause you know, it, it's necessary. Yeah. So, um, if there's one piece of business advice, maybe if you go back in time and like have a conversation with the a past version of yourself and just give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Oh, geez. Um, understanding, um, finance mm-hmm. has been, has been a challenge for me to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would definitely tell myself to hire a bookkeeper earlier on in the process, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a good one. But I think that, you know, the, the biggest piece of advice I would give myself is um, to to capitalize a little bit better in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, to make that miscellaneous column about 20% instead of 5% because <laughs> everything costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you don't have money, it's kind of hard to spend it or get the things that you need. So I'm going to I'm going to yeah. reveal my incompetence right now because I'm very open about this being a learning process for me. What do you mean by miscellaneous? Oh, overages, stuff you forgot, you know, <laughs> the, the fact that you have two water meters instead of one on your space. And now you got to pay two deposits because that's the way it is, you know, stuff like that. You know, the, the, the miscellaneous column of business is so much, uh, when you're getting started mm-hmm. because you don't have any experience to fall back on. Mm-hmm. So it sounds um, like you're just saying, know your numbers down to every last expense and to know where all of your money's going. Well, you, yeah, you, that, I think that's kind of a given. Yeah. You just, when you're starting out, you know, you, you, you kind of have this idea that you've done all the research and you've read the books and you've written this amazing plan and you feel like it's great and realize that you've forgotten so much stuff that you've never thought of because you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, Chef Neil, if there was one question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview, what would it be? Oh, geez. Um that's a good question. Um, I should have been better prepared for that one. <laughs> it's all right. uh, I, I know you put it. I know you put it in your notes. Uh, the one question you should have asked me is: I don't know. Do you do you desire to talk about like uh, work life balance? I mean, I find that's that to a be great a challenge topic, yeah. late, later 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 on in, in my career. I mean, you know, I think I think asking about how you 
how you maintain work-life balance is, no, it's, is, is it's, probably something that really makes sense for this one. Yeah, you know, and we're going to talk about that now. It's the whole purpose of asking the question to make sure we're <laughs> uh, yeah. going there. And I think that's a great topic because I was you were talking about how you uh, recently took over the operations of a meat market. How how did that affect you? I mean, you all of a sudden go from operating one restaurant to two you know, locations and you spread yourself thin. How do you have time for work and life when you're – spread so thin it's i mean the 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 blatant answer to that is it's hard um (laughs) it's really hard yeah because you go you mean you have you have literally 100 percent more restaurants that you're running in an instant Mm -hmm. um so uh, i think prioritizing the balance is something that's easier to do later in life i mean Mm -hmm. i'm married i have a four-year-old child and i want to spend time with them Mm -hmm. so it's important it's important that I find the time to do the important things, uh, and you really start to question, you know, the the efficiency with which you do with which you work. Mm-hmm. So I find myself leaving when I'm being less efficient because I know I can be, you know, get the work done at a better time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, that's just growing up and and uh, understanding yourself and you know better ways to work and and also trusting other people to make make decisions mm-hmm. um, and and. I think, um, you know, having those priorities is what is what allows you to keep going in this business for as long for you know for a career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's it's it's a it's a very tough business to start and finish your life in, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm absolutely committed to that. But I'm also absolutely committed to having a life. Mm-hmm. So. No, you, you know, need it. Way, balancing those two things is really important. Awesome. I'm happy we went there. Great stuff. So I've asked all the questions for you today. You've been awesome. We're going to wrap it up. I wrap up every episode by having my guest call somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional, whether it's front of house or back of house, that you just admire and just think would be an amazing, great guest mentor like you have been for us today? Um. You know, I, I don't I don't know him super well, but I know Tandy Wilson in uh, Nashville. I, he's one of the chefs that I've been following for a, for a long time because he's close, and I've seen his evolution. And I think he would be a very interesting perspective for you to have on your show. That was Tandy Wilson. Yeah. All right, look out, Tandy. I am coming after you. I can't wait to get you on the show. I hope you do take me up on the offer. And, Chef, let the people at home know how we can connect with you. Um, Maybe we have some people out in the Chattanooga area that are listening who want to surround themselves with incredible mentors like yourself. How can they come connect and maybe work for you? My email is as simple as it gets. It's uh, my initials, E-N, at easybistro.com. And that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. En at easybistro.com. Do not worry if you're searching for a pen, you can't find one. I'll have these all in the show notes. Just remember restaurantunstoppable.com slash 194. This is session 194. We'll have all the links to everything we talked about, a summary of the discussions, all right there for you. Chef Eric Neal, thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit with me and to discuss the industry. There's no questioning, you are unstoppable. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all enjoyed it. Chef Neil, awesome guest, such incredible advice. What really struck me, what really you know hit home with me today was his advice on you know you can't just pay people. It's not enough to just pay people to come work for you. You have to offer them something more. You and the best thing to offer them is passion. Uh, to let them know that that you're there for them, to be a mentor, to 
to do all those things uh, so they know that if they come to work for you, they're going to grow personally because you're going to your passion is going to be invested in them and their careers. If you want more shows like this, you can help me out by simply leaving a review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Those reviews really help justify what I'm here doing for you guys. Uh, those, those, that social proof goes a long way. You can also use my links anytime you hear about something that you think might be good for your restaurant, whether it's a, a product or a book. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, you can go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools and restaurantunstoppable.com slash books. There's links to everything we discuss right there. All the products and services recommended by our guest mentors will be found there. And I sometimes get a kickback, and those uh, kickbacks go to help cover the expense of the show. And then lastly, simply spread the word. If you know somebody who's passionate about what they're doing and they want to start a career or own their own restaurant someday, share this podcast with them. There's almost 200 episodes now of just guest mentors sharing their stories, their advice, their wisdom to what it takes to become successful in this industry. And we need to spread the word and uh, be a community of people just wanting to learn together. So that's how you can help the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, peace out. Out.